0: come through this interesting season of the year and we and we do this every year and for whatever reason when we go through the holidays they they cause us to become real reflective about our lives whether this is uh out of some sense of grief at there's been some loss during the year or maybe for, for some people it is the idea that time just continues to tick and talk and and roll and and there's. Unmet parts of, uh, of of our lives. For others, it's just because of the season of indulgence, and we've eaten too much, and we've spent too much, and and now we're reflective on uh, what do I do? And so we come to the new year, and we we treat the new year as this time that I'm going to make uh, a resolution. I'm I'm going to treat it like a blank, clean slate as, as we go forward, and I am going to commit to to live my life differently. And and that's great, and I'm not against self-reflection and developing awareness of who we are and what motivates us and, and, and where we want to go. I think that's all very healthy stuff. But what is kind of a little bit unnatural is that we, we pick this, this point, this beginning point uh, of the year to do this. And then what happens is we get maybe 15 days, maybe it's January 15th, like today, and you've realized that in your effort to lose weight last night, you had uh, cheese fries dipped in ranch sauce. And now uh, I, I've just shot the whole thing. And so instead of, instead of grace, instead of uh, reevaluation, We just kind of give up and we wait until until the next year because we've we've set this arbitrary time when when everything's going to be new. And I've messed the year up, uh, and and so we're going to just we'll wait till next year to to do that. So it's it's kind of a little bit of an, an artificial sense. What I would propose to you is that taking this opportunity to be to be reflective, to evaluate, to maybe set goals, to maybe to see where I want to be should be something that we are doing every day. And what I want to what I want to talk about today is the choice that kind of undergirds all, all of our other choices. We are going to examine as the as the scripture passage that was read for us, the idea of making the choice for faith. What does that mean? What are the implications? And how does that affect, uh, how is that going to affect our year? So the choice for faith. So I'm going to reread the passage from Romans that, that was already read. It's a, it's a short passage, but there's a lot here for us regard, with regards to our faith with regards to how that grows, and with regard to how do I I make this choice? What does it mean to choose faith? So Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, one of the first things that, that you learn when you begin to dive in and do a little Bible study, and maybe you've heard this, maybe, maybe you've not studied the Bible, so this is going to be new to you. Whenever you see a therefore, you need to understand what it's there for. Okay, so that not that kind of clever? I like that. It makes it memorable. So what we need to understand is why does this statement that, that, that talks about faith Begin with, with therefore. So the the person who wrote this letter to the the Roman Church is the, is the Apostle Paul. And he is a guy, if you're not familiar with, with biblical history or, or anything, he is a man who went and he planted new churches throughout Asia and into, into a little little bit of Europe. And he stayed in touch with his churches by writing them a letter, and uh, different letters, and that's what composes a bunch of our New Testament. And so Paul's writing to the Roman church, and in the previous chapter, chapter 4, Paul spends the the whole chapter talking about with the the father of the faith, uh, a man called Abraham. And so the the special thing about Abraham is God made a promise to Abraham, said, said, uh, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars. Your your commitment that you're making to God now is going to affect all humanity, all nations. And so Paul was addressing a little bit of a misunderstanding about Abraham because people put put their view of Abraham that he was successful because of his obedience. Okay, so we need to be obedient like Abraham is obedient. We need to obey the law. We need to, we need to, uh, we need to be down to the letter. But here, here's the thing that Paul points out in this chapter 4, is it wasn't Abraham's obedience that we should be lauding. It was Abraham's faith. Because Abraham did not have a law. The, the law, the, the rules that, that are in the Old Testament, they came after Abraham as a result. And so what, what Paul writes is that Abraham was justified because of his faith. And what it says in the Old Testament, if you go back in and, and you read a little bit about Abraham, is that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul says that was not just written for, for Abraham, that was written for us, okay? Faith is the thing that justifies us. Faith is the thing that, that changes our status before, before God. So what is faith? Okay, what, what does it mean that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, so the definition of faith that I am using for us as we're, we're, uh, we're talking and, and thinking about this today is that faith is coming into agreement with what God says. Okay. Faith is coming into agreement with what God says. It's, it's having a trust in what is unseen. Having, having a trust in, in what is unknown. Now here's the thing about faith in God. Our faith in God is not based on mystery. It's not based on things that we can't know. Our faith is based on God's reliable attributes. Okay, there are things that we can know about God, and and God does not change. From, the, from these ways of behaving and these ways of interacting. And this is the difference between, between having faith in God. And we like to use faith and we say, I got, I got faith in my spouse, or I have faith in the government, or I have faith in my peers, or faith in my career. All of those things, all the things that we sometimes talk about putting faith in, those, uh, th- those are, are going to be things that uh, are going to let us down at some point. Because they are, they are related to, to broken people. So when, when you say, I've got, I've got faith in my spouse, well, well that's great. It's good, to, it's good to believe in them. But having faith in them, they are going, honestly, your spouse is going to disappoint you. Just ask my wife. Okay, that's, that's pretty, much, it's pretty much a certainty. Okay, Because we are all broken. We are, we are not going to be perfect. We, we were not created to, to be perfect. But God is reliable in everything he does he when he makes a promise he doesn 't back away from it, so our faith is based on God being who he says he is going to be and so this is why when you when you begin to follow Jesus, if you are somebody in here who has made that step and you do that, this is why the church or the community that you 're part of says right away, okay Grab a Bible. Start reading the Bible. Get in a community with some other people and and start talking about the stories of how how you came to faith. It's so that you can begin to learn about who this God is that you've now put your faith in. And so that you you can... you can correct some of the misconceptions that you have about God because sometimes we project our interactions with parents and authority figures and and people like that onto onto God. And we treat them in the same way that we we treat those people. So that first step learning is, is so important because we got to understand who it is that we have faith. Now, here's another thing about faith that is super important. It's faith. It's, it's not about the size of your faith. That's not what's important. It's the presence of faith that is important. On a couple of different occasions when Jesus is teaching his disciples, okay, so these are the, these are the 12 guys that are the closest people in proximity and in relationship with Jesus. On a couple different times, he says to them, oh, you have little faith, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed. So, so Jesus is making a little comparison, Okay, mustard seed is very small. Okay, it's it's super small. You can can barely see it with with the naked eye. Jesus is saying, if you just have, if if that is present, then God is the one that is going to make that faith grow. So, Often when we enter into faith, then we take on this attitude of I've got to try harder. I've got to try harder to be faithful. And, and when I'm not, when we feel knocked down, that, that causes us to want to give, to give up. But it's not the size. It's not the intensity of your faith. It's just if there's a little bit, that's all God needs to, to build from there. And faith is the foundation of our spiritual life. And so what your faith is rooted in becomes the key to what's going to grow from there. So again, I want to turn to the Romans passage, and I'm just going to read the first couple verses as we, as we get started here. So uh, Romans chapter 5, again, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, so justified's a, a pretty key word there, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So we have made a choice. You have made a choice. Probably I have made a choice of where we are going to stand. And and, and Paul says that in, in these first two verses. We have chosen a spot and we are now standing there. We have made a choice to stand in Christ. In other places, we're told we stand firm in Christ. So whatever comes at us, we are locked and rooted in place in this foundation. And so what happens because of this choice, we we choose faith. We've made the choice to make God and make Jesus the the object uh, of our faith. We have a status change. This is what the idea of being justified means. Instead of being at odds with God, instead of having a different purpose from what God would have for us, we now stand accepted by God. Okay, false and all. We now stand approved by God, false and all, because of who we are in Christ, because of that choice to have faith. So this is where the mustard seed starts. This is, this is, this is when it, where it gets planted. And, and one of the beautiful results of this that we either take for granted or we don't actually live our lives believing is that when we have this mustard seed uh, of faith, we now have access to grace. We have a constant assurance of God's grace in our life. You know, a, a lot of times we think this idea of grace, okay, this idea of, of, uh, of not, uh, not getting what we deserve from God, we, we believe that when it comes to taking the step of faith. So we say, okay, I believe grace, I'm now in Christ. But then when we, when we are in Christ, when we become a disciple, too often we operate that now everything is on our shoulders. Grace is out the door. Now it's about what I do. So I've got to try harder to have more faith. I've got to try harder to, to obey and do the right things. And I, I live this sense of I'm going to beat myself up and have insecurity. And, and, and we live the life that God does not want us to have. We need grace throughout our relationship with Jesus. And this is also the difference between having faith in God and having this access to grace. And when we put faith in something else, when we put faith in, in something like a, 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 a resolution that we've made, when I, when I res- make a resolution to lose a couple pounds and then I gain three pounds... Okay? There's no grace there. That's failure. Okay? There's no say, okay, uh, the scales going to offer me some forgiveness because it's not. You know, it's, it's one way or, or the other. There's an expectation of performance in the resolutions that we make in a lot of the choices uh, that we make. So we're justified. We live in grace. And so Paul goes on. This is verse three. He says, not only so, this is where it's going to get difficult. But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That's a difficult teaching, right? To say that I am, I am going to rejoice while my world is in chaos why I'm going to rejoice, why my expectations are crumbling and I'm grieving. I I am going to rejoice. Here's the truth. This mustard seed of faith that has been planted and is now rooted in who God is and, and, and the fact that he is not going to change, the growth of that faith is going to be a painful process. This is this is a promise. Jesus promises this, the Paul promises this, Peter and his his writings promises this. Our faith is going to lead one way or another to suffering. Okay? This is the spiritual path and it's completely opposed to what we want. Right? When we when we come into faith in God, we our hope and I, I, I know this because I've experienced this in, in, in my own life, that our desire is that, okay, Jesus is going to make everything better, right? And he's going to pat me on the back and say, it's all cool. Uh, you're not going to have to feel any pain. I mean, as a parent, this is what you want for your child. You hope that your child isn't going to have to feel any pain. But the reality of the world is that there is suffering all around. Peter just mentioned him. He's one of the. He's one of Jesus' uh, closest friends, and this is what he wrote in in his one of his letters. This is First Peter. It's the first chapter. It's verses six and seven. Peter says, "In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a, a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so." Th- so that the, the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So think about who wrote this. Okay, think, think about who Peter was and what happened to him. He, Peter is the standard bearer for, of your faith being grown through a trial and through suffering. Before, before Jesus died, when, when Jesus is telling his disciples about it, his death and what's going to happen, Jesus, Peter boldly declares, he says, I will never betray you. I got this. Okay? Everyone else may run away. Peter's here. And, and, and Jesus looks at Peter, okay? and he, he makes him this promise. Satan wants to sift you. He's going to come after you. The enemy who prowls around to drag you down, he's out for you, Peter. And I'm going to pray that when you turn back. So Jesus is making Peter a promise. He says, you are, you are going to suffer and when you turn back. And we see that in his life. Okay? That's, that's the guy who just wrote, wrote this, that his faith was attacked and he suffered, but it grew. So, so, what's suffering? You know, I think we all feel this. I don't know that I have to go into too much detail. I, I think suffering's the thing that we kind of understand in the, in the fallenness of this world. But, you know, we have questions. Why, why do things happen? You know, because we have this sense that the world is not what it's supposed to be. You know, kids aren't supposed to get cancer. Right? Why, why does that happen? That's suffering. Okay? And that's that's terrible. But but God is able to use that. There's grief. This world wasn't created for death. It's not the way that the world is supposed to operate. That's why we grieve it so hard. That's suffering. There's also the spiritual distress that we feel as the things that we, we, we cling on to, to to give us our, our sense of everything's going to be okay as God slowly rips those away from us because the only dependence he wants us to have is on, on him. God is working on exposing that, that true self that he created that's the way you're supposed to live. Some of the suffering is because we're in the, the, the desert or the, uh, the wilderness where, where God is refining our thirst and he, he exposes our need and we, we get to make that choice. Am I going to choose faith in God or am I going to choose a, a different path? And so from this suffering that we have, the mustard seed that's been planted, it breaks open and it gets to, it gets to root. And the, the beautiful thing, is even though so much of what happens in this world is not the way it was planned to be, not the way it was designed, when you're in Christ, the trials, the suffering, the distress that you experience works for you, not against you. Because what, what Paul wrote to the Romans is that our suffering produces perseverance. So what is perseverance? Why does this matter? Well, perseverance results from learning to look at your circumstances through the lens of relationship with God or with Jesus. See, here, here's our tendency, and here's my tendency. Okay? Everything I'm saying here, th- this has been my experience and, I, and experience of people that I, that I know, and I believe it's, it's common to humanity, is we tend to evaluate our relationship with God. We tend to, we tend to evaluate God's working in our lives through the lens of our circumstances. So, so that's why when things are rough, we tend to say, God, where are you? Why, why, aren't you, why aren't you on my side? Have you forgotten me? And that's why when things are good, we do one of two things. We just say, thank you, God, things are good. It's all, it's, it's all going up and to the right. Or we forget about God entirely because when things are good, that's how we evaluate our relationship. But the truth is that not everything works out. And this idea of faith and choosing that is reminding ourselves and developing this mindset that, that, e, that God is acting in our lives, that God is present, that God is doing something that we may not understand even when we experience trouble. Even when your circumstances may be trying to, to lead you in another direction, God, God is active. If you're familiar with the Bible then you're familiar with the, 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 the book of Job, okay? If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's the book of Job, okay? So you can go back to the Old Testament and Job, spelled J-O-B, that was the joke, but sorry, in case, uh, in case you, di- you didn't know, I'm not trying to lose you there. Job experienced trial. He experienced suffering. The one thing that Job held on to is that through it all, God was active. that God God was working on his behalf. That is sometimes the only thing that we can cling to, and it's faith. It's our perseverance being demonstrated. So suffering leads to perseverance. What else does Paul have to say that's going to possibly be painful? Verse 4 says perseverance, character, and then character produces hope. So perseverance results in character. See, there is a consistency between the, the root of who you are, what you're looking to, to to make yourself feel complete or well or whole or whatever terminology you want to use. There is a consistency between that and the fruit of your life, your actions, your behaviors, the decisions that, that you make. So if, if your identity is in being likable, then, then, then your character, the actions that, that you display, are going to be consistent with somebody who wants to be likable. And if, you're, if, you're, if your identity, if who you are is in being financially successful, then again, your character, your actions, the decisions that you make are, are going to be consistent with that. And, and with wherever our root is, when we are inconsistent, when we are inconsistent between where our root is and, and how we are acting, our character, we experience that as anxiety and fear and anger and insecurity. Because, because we know there's an inconsistency. And, and sometimes when we're in church, we cover up that inconsistency by, by wearing a mask. We put on religion as a costume. Because at least if, I, if I'm not going to have faith, I'm going to look like I have faith. Okay, so that I can, I can be acceptable or I can pull one over on everybody. So character is the consistency between your faith and actions. So when we make the when we choose <coughs> faith, when we step into that, character means we're living in truth. means that that we are we are going to we're, we're choosing vulnerability part of our character is is adopting the the idea of weakness that that allows jesus to be strong that we're going to rest in christ's righteousness instead of trying to cloak ourselves with with our own and trying to trying to be the best person that we can be we're going to allow jesus to be the best person he can be through us are the actions that we have so the decisions that we make in our life, the behaviors that we, we fall into, the, the way we act in relationship, these naturally come out of the root of who we are. And so, so James, in, in his letter that he writes, he, he, he says this, in the same way, faith by itself, okay, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. So there's no such thing as just saying, I'm going to live a life of faith, but then there, there's going to be no, there's going to be no fruit. When we go back to Abraham, which Paul used as the example from chapter four uh, uh, of Romans. Yes, there was a, there was a consistency between Abraham's belief and his actions. Since he believed he, when God said, go, Abraham went, okay? when God said, you're going to have a son, Abraham said, okay, great okay and we'll talk a little bit more at the end how we know how abraham's faith was refined and what the end product of that was. a healthy tree okay, this is this is the example we see in nature. a healthy tree will produce fruit in season you can't you can 't keep it from producing fruit in season so when you're when your faith is healthy when there's consistency, then you 're not going to be able to. Stop from producing good actions, good behaviors, good decisions. The problem is, we, we, try, to make, we try to make good fruit and we, we don't examine the root at all. We don't, we don't examine where our faith is, what, what is motivating us. So, the fruit of a life that is rooted in Christ, that one has chosen faith, the mustard seed, and has gone through suffering, has learned perseverance, is love and joy and peace, and patience, all these things sound so good. And kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. This is, this is what we are being conformed into. So we don't choose those things. Okay? We choose faith, and God brings those things out. So from this character, from living this way, from being joyful and content, despite circumstances, our hope is revealed. So sufferings produce perseverance, which produces character, which then Paul says results in hope. And we get to see the source of our hope more clearly. So here's what hope is. Hope anticipates the reality of what God says. Hope is looking forward forward and is certain of, of, of what God has said, and is looking forward to, to the reality. But the, hope is tough for us to understand, because we get, we get our language confused in, in our day and age. When we talk about hope, when we use the word hope, hope, it, hope is kind of uh, like a wish. Okay? Hope is our desire that everything is going to work out okay at some point. But, but that's not necessarily God's plan for you. Like, I hope to win the lottery, right? Is that a certainty? Well, I don't play the lottery, so probably not. But even if I did, okay, it's statistically improbable. I, I could say on my vacation, I hope it doesn't rain, okay? Is, is that a certainty? No, I have no way of knowing. So the way we use hope is, is, is as an unknown. It's a, it's a wish that, 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 that I want. And usually our hopes revolve around false sources of restoration. And that's not faith. Okay? It doesn't take faith to follow your own, your own expectations. But hope is an anticipation. It's like when you see a car a long way off on the horizon... And you know it's coming towards you. Okay? That's, what, that's what hope is. You know it's there. You can't grab onto it yet. But you're anticipating its arrival. And so what we get to hope in is we get to see Jesus face to face someday. Someday when we, when we see him face to face, we're going to be fully restored. Okay, the, the, the pain, the suffering, the trials that we experience now, this sense that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, that goes away. Every tear gets wiped away from, from, from every eye. So our hope is not in these lesser things. Our hope is in the one that we've put, we've put our faith in. So after hope, Paul finishes up uh, these five verses and he writes, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So unlike our wishes, the, the, this hope that grows from the seed of faith, it's not going to leave us feeling disappointed. It's, it's not going to leave us feeling worthless like when we, we break one of our resolutions the day after, after the new year. This hope is, is, is love that 's going to be poured into the core of our being as, as, as we are persevering and as we are acting in consistency with, with our faith, so love gets poured out on us, so we have more certainty now, so we have more alignment with God, and so we have increased faith. The mustard seed is growing it's it 's becoming a plant now it 's more firmly rooted. As you persevere, as you act in character, as you focus in on what your hope truly is. And so, one note about this process. We are not perfect in this process. The growth of faith is not always just climbing up to the mountain and getting there and being on the summit and celebrating. When we look at Paul's example of Abraham, I just want to tell you a little bit of the story of Abraham as we roll into the finish of this message. Abraham was given this promise by God that he and his wife were going to, be the, they were going to have an heir and they were, their descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars. And here's what Abraham and his wife did. They put their hope in this promise. They put their sense of who they were in the fulfillment of this promise. And they took their eyes off the one who made the promise to them. Subtle distinction. So, because that was the case, they sinned. They had trouble having a child. And so, finally, Abraham's wife said, I want this heir. Go have a child with my, my handmaiden. Okay? And they had, they had Ishmael. They broke faith with God because their hope was in the promise rather than in God. But here's the thing. God was faithful through all this. God, there's going to be consequences. There was consequences for their family and their future generations, but God renewed the covenant with them. He marked Abraham so that Abraham would never forget the way he sinned. And then he said, you're still going to have this, you're still going to have this heir. And, and he and his wife, Sarah, they had Isaac. You can read the whole story. Go back in the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. Read verse or read chapters 12 to 22. Fascinating story. This is the growth of Abraham's faith. And in the culmination in Genesis 22, God says, God comes. And this, this is God seeing is this faith a refined faith? And God says to Abraham, take your son, take Isaac, take the heir, the fulfillment of the promise. And I want you to build an altar and I want you to give him back to me. So someone whose hope was still in the promise would have balked at this, right? He would have run. He would have said, no, no, this is the fulfillment. This is, this is my worth. I am out of here. But Abraham responded, he had his, his character was more set. And he said, God is going to provide the sacrifice. He had faith. He knew that God gave, gave the son, that, that this was the one who the nations were going to be built through. And, and so he had faith that, that God was going to provide a sacrifice. His faith had been refined. Read about it. That's our life told in the life of Abraham. Here's Romans 8. This is the process. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, so the good here is not the good of you're going to get your way. The good here is not everything's going to work out. The good here is not you're going to be rich and successful and everybody's going to scream your name when you go down the street. The good here is that your faith is going to be refined that you're going to be able to focus on nothing but God and the hope that you have in him. Because that, as Peter said, is of greater worth than gold. So here is a question I want to leave you with today. What expectations of God are keeping your faith from growing? Please pray with me. God, thank you so much for not putting anything to waste that happens in our life, whether it's something we did or something that was done to us. Your promise is that if, if we have that mustard seed, that you're, you are going to make it grow, that you are going to refine our faith, that you are, have promised to make us whole and, and to give us restoration. So my, pray, my prayer for all of us, for me, for, for everyone in this room, is that we would choose faith that we would, we would offer our mustard seed so that you can indeed uh, make us grow, uh, make us prosper spiritually, and that you will focus our eyes on the only hope we have, which is Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.